calling us to live this out? What does it look like to reach others? So let's look at that passage. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ is one of the bedrocks of the church. A few years ago, my wife and I were leading a a park outreach. And these park outreaches, we would go spend time in the community outside of our church building, and we would interact with people within the community there. And so uh, on that particular day, we had um, bounce houses, we had hot dogs, we had a lot of conversation. And I, I shared about Christ and I shared about our church with more people than I can remember on that one day alone. And we spent the better part of probably four hours just in that park, just trying to meet people where they were and making that relationship and that connection. At the end of that outreach, I got in my car and I looked in the rearview mirror and I realized that I had been wearing purple studded stick-on earrings <laughs> the entire day. As we were setting up that morning, my, my daughter, who was five at the time, was playing and she put stick-on earrings and I completely forgot. And so I was horrified when I looked in the mirror and I thought, I don't know what I just represented to this community, but... Jesus, my heart was good, you know. This is what's beautiful, though. Out of that outreach, there was a couple who started coming to church. Both of them gave their hearts to Christ. I baptized both of them. They had a child. I dedicated their child to the Lord. They became members of the church. They started serving in the nursery. They started leading a small group. And so when you look at our lame efforts but you recognize what it is that Christ has given us, the good news. You see how powerful this is and why this is the story of Jesus' church. It's what Christ said his church would do. They would go into the world and make disciples of them. And that is why reaching others is a big deal to Jesus and to his church. Now this morning I want to share with you a story that's found in 2 Kings Chapters 6 and 7, and the story is is actually quite lengthy and probably too long for us to share in one service today, and so I'm going to give you a Cliff Notes version, but this, this passage really embodies the essence of what it is to reach others. Have you ever been between a rock and a hard place? I want you to think of the most difficult position that you've been in. Maybe it was a position where none of the options looked good. It was maybe you had this feeling that you were choosing the lesser of two evils rather than the better of two choices. In 2 Kings chapter 7, there's four lepers who find themselves walking to the camp of the enemy's army. And they were lepers who were cast out of Samaria They were out of food, they were out of water, they were trembling in fear, but they were starving. They looked at each other and they said, if we stay here, we die. If we go there, we'll probably die. But we can't just sit here any longer. And I wonder today if there's any conceivable way for us, 
sitting in this beautiful facility, dressed like we are, well-fed, strong. I wonder if there's any way that we can identify with these four lepers. It's difficult to understand the effect that leprosy had on an individual. It was not only a disease that would eventually kill them, but it also cut them off from the ones that they loved. It was illegal to have a leper inside the city gates. And so they had to live outside the gates, apart from their loved ones, apart from their family. Never to have a friendly embrace, never to even touch a hand. They lived completely destitute at the bottom of society. That's the picture. That's the life of these lepers. Now, if you can imagine these lepers at the gates of Samaria, and Samaria at this point is a besieged city. There was no food in the city, and there was even less outside where the lepers lived. So they were lepers. They were starving to death, and now they are facing the enemy's army, a rock and a hard place. The city where they lived, Samaria, was a beautiful city in times of peace, but the problem was it was landlocked, and that meant that it was completely dependent upon the crops outside the city, the water outside the city, the livestock outside the city. In order for them to maintain a healthy population, they were completely dependent on everything that was external. And in the final days of his rule, around 840 BC, King Joram wakes up to this horrible realization that his city of Samaria was under siege by the powerful King Benadad, the king of Syria. And you'll read in chapter 6 how the Syrians decided rather than to attack the city of Samaria, they besieged it. And laying siege to a city was very different than attacking it. To besiege a city, you would surround it and you cut off all of the supplies. It stops all the inflow, all the outflow, and it separates the city from its source. That meant that all of the fields of grain, all of the streams of water and the wells and the cattle, everything was cut off from Samaria, leaving the city with only what remained in storage. So if you have ever gone to Walmart and you found an empty shelf, or you've ever gone to King Super and your favorite product was out of stock, that's about as close as you can connect here. To siege a city, to lay siege was it, to, to it, was to stop off, was to cut off the source. And that meant as the, the, the shelves and the stock would decline, there was no way to replenish. And so that meant that it, you, you would go from your preferred food to your second choice, to your third choice, to no choice. To siege a city, to lay siege to it, meant that the source was completely cut off. And so as the shelves ran bare, as the stock went down, the city started to experience starvation. And that was the intended effect of a siege. Scholars believe it was a very dangerous situation for two reasons. Obviously, there was the siege that was happening, a lengthy siege. But also, they have um, just archaeological evidence that the, the city had been experiencing a drought for a number of years leading up to it, which meant that their supplies were already low. 
And so that added to this siege. And, and you imagine that the city of what's happening here, the, the stock was already low, and now all of the sources were cut off. And once a, an army surrounded your city and cut off all of your sources, you knew that unless peace came, that you and your family would experience famine and disease, and it would lead to eventual death by starvation. That was the intention of a siege. And the text here gives us a few pictures of the situation inside Samaria, and it's bleak. At the market, it said there were only a few products available, and they were at exorbitant prices. Chapter 6, verse 25 said that a donkey's head cost about one kilogram of silver, and a half a liter of dove dung that was used for cooking fire was half a kilogram of silver. That's what was on the shelves. The next account is horrific. In verse 28, it talks about an incident of cannibalism. Now, I tell you this because it paints the picture of what was happening in this moment where two moms agree that they would eat their children. And so after the first night, when the first child was killed, the second mom changes her mind and hides her child. And the first mom gets upset and goes to the king and tells the story, and the king said, you what? That's not supposed to happen. Ever, anywhere, that's not supposed to happen. And the king becomes so desperate. I mean, he's, he's losing his mind of what do I do in this situation? The scripture says in verse 33 of chapter 6 that the king starts to blame this on the Lord. And he says, all this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait on God any longer? A bleak situation. In the king's mind, the only remaining thing to do is to surrender to Benadad, the king of Syria. And he puts his hope in the enemy. This is my only chance. This is my only hope. And it was in this darkest hour where you start to feel the evil, <clears throat> you start to feel the death, that Elisha the prophet stands up. And he says something crazy. He said, tomorrow at this very hour, this will all be over. How many people do you think believed him? <laughs> so difficult to see beyond those circumstances. And this is where we start to hear now the story of the four lepers. That is their circumstance. And these men find themselves between the city and the front line of the Syrians, the army. Because of their skin disease, they had been exiled from the city, forced to live about a mile outside the city gates, where the city had, had given them some designated land and some shelter. That's where you will live apart from us. But as the Syrian army came, these lepers decided to move closer and closer to the city gates for more protection. And this is where they find themselves now, sitting at the entrance of the city gate. There wasn't anything for them to eat. And if we tried to imagine their situation, we can picture the enemy camp moving closer to them. The food has been completely cut off now. And this is where they find themselves. If we stay here, we die. 
we go to the enemy, we'll probably die. So you can see that the, the fear of death in their eyes, and you can imagine their knees shaking as, and trembling as they're walking towards the enemy's camp. But when they walked into the camp, Scripture says that what they found was unexplainable. The camp of the enemy was completely empty. There was nobody there. All the Syrians had left. And the lepers had to have been completely confused and shocked. What's going on? (laughs) What is happening right here? The writer of the story gives us the reason why for this unexpected turn of events. He said that God had caused the Syrians to hear the sound of a great army. And they believed it to be the Egyptians and the Hittites who were coming to Samaria's aid. And this loud noise had caused them to become so terrified that they just completely abandoned their tents, their supplies, their livestock immediately. And it says, without hesitation, in a panic, they fled back to their homeland. Now, can you imagine what must have been going through the leper's mind in this moment? They had to have been speechless this entire camp of the enemy is abandoned and when you're you're speechless in today's culture this is what happens no way <laughs> no way where is everybody And scripture says that once they realized what had happened, they did what anyone would have done. They started eating. They found food. They found water. And they started to drink and they started to eat. They had been living on leftovers for years. And now they are literally dining in the king's tent. And then scripture says they began to loot the camp. And there was so much stuff that they couldn't carry it. And so they would load up and they would go and they would bury it. And then they'd come back and they'd load up again and they'd return and they would bury it. And they would go back and back and forth. I mean, this is really unbelievable. Life is really smiling on these guys now. Not only are they in freedom, but they're in abundance. But it's in the middle of this plundering that Scripture says they came to their senses and they realized What they are doing is wrong. They were in freedom and abundance, but it says that they realized that inside of that city of Samaria, there were so many people who were still suffering from hunger and from fear. See, they didn't know that the siege was was done. They didn't know that the enemy had left. They were still living in starvation and in fear. And the lepers expressed their feelings in such a beautiful way in verse 9. They said, then the lepers said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we remain silent. See, these four guys, they recognize this responsibility, something so wonderful and as great as this, you just can't keep it to yourself. And although the city of Samaria did not even allow them to enter, they felt this divine responsibility to tell them. And I find it so impressive how these these four men with leprosy care about the fate of the people in the city, people that walked around them with great caution and even cast them away. These men cared for people in the city even though the people in the city didn't care for them. 
Scripture says they went immediately and shared the good news with the people of Samaria. Now, now let's back up. When it says immediately, it means after they plundered the tents, after they ate as much as they could, after they drank all they could, after they came to their senses and they realized it, they said, okay, we've got a responsibility. Immediately they went. I wonder how deep this feeling is inside of us. That after we have indulged, after we have said, oh my goodness, I I feel like I can't get enough of God's word. I can't pray enough. I can't commune with him enough. I can't get enough of this amazing biblical community here. I wonder after it settles in and we come to our senses, I wonder how deep this feeling is inside of us to say, but why and how could we keep this to ourselves? See, one of the, the trademarks of the New Testament church is that they, they didn't keep the good news to themselves. In fact, in Acts, uh, we read about how the word grew. They wanted to share with other people the salvation that they had experienced in their own lives. And so Paul writes in the first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 8, that's, this is beautiful. The Lord's message rang out from you. And wouldn't that just be a beautiful banner to put over this church? The Lord's message rang out from you. This church had become a model to all believers of what it is to share the good news that they had received in Jesus Christ. So this message today sends us home with a very pointed question. Do we take responsibility to share the good news of what God has done with people around us? It's a fair question, isn't it? As humanity, as people, we have a tendency to begin to look in, and it's human nature. We have a tendency to begin to look in, and the longer we look in, the longer we miss what Scripture says to lift our eyes to the fields and to see and to look out. It happens naturally that we look in. But the question, do we take responsibility to lift our eyes, to share the good news with the people around us? See, there are most Christ followers are growing in their knowledge, they're growing in their commitment, they're growing in their serving. But our question is, are we also growing in our passion to reach others? See, there's something vital that's missing in the bedrock of the church if we're motivated to discover all that we have for ourselves in Christ Jesus, but we have no burden for souls. And God has put on his church, South Suburban, all the churches in this community, all the churches in the world, God has placed this great trust in us, leaving us with the responsibility of sharing the good news what has happened, the liberation, the freedom that Christ Jesus has offered us, and that is the good news. So I'd like to take the rest of our time this morning to spend just looking at some takeaways from this text and how it relates to us reaching our world today. And we'll look quickly at two things, why the good news was needed and why it was considered a gift. So first, we have to understand why the good news was needed. 
The city of Samaria needed this good news because the people were living in fear and starvation. The siege was done, but they were still living in fear and in starvation. They were living as a city that was still under siege because they had not heard the good news yet. Now, as you think about the world in which we live and you recognize that there are people who've never heard that Jesus broke this siege, that you're not cut off from the source anymore, that sin does not have to separate you from God the Father. But people who have never heard that news are still living like they're separated. Now, that's our call as a church. That's the call of the church that we would share with them. As as Psalm 34 says, God met me and freed me from my anxiety and fears. The source, the Lord, I don't have to live in fear anymore. He set me free from that. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I don't have to hunger and thirst any longer because of the source of Jesus Christ. And our church, the church, is called to introduce people to the source, the true source of life and peace in this world, and it's only found in Jesus Christ. Now, the second reason that Samaria needed the good news was because the people were hopeless and would eventually die. Another bleak outlook. This is how they felt. The people of Samaria had no hope, and they could not see anything in their future except for death. In our world today, people need to hear the hope of Jesus that leads to eternal life. They need that. Because they may hope that the Patriots win. They may hope that the stock market goes up. They may hope that President Trump doesn't send out another tweet at midnight. They, just, they, they hope in a lot of things, but they don't have hope for the future. You're born, you live, and you die. And everything leads to that eventual death. But Ephesians 4.17 tells us, this is a a word from Paul to the church, you have hope. Stop living like people who don't have hope. Stop it. Just stop it. You have hope. Share it with the world around you. Act like it. Live like it. Come on. It's not about your circumstances. Your hope is in Christ. Stop living like the rest of the world. You have hope. And then scripture says, of course, in one of the most well-known passages, John 3, 16, listen with fresh ears, God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever would believe in him would not die. The world thinks that everything ends in death. But God said, I sent my son so that whoever believes in him would not die, but they would have eternal life. See, this is the hope that lies within us, the good news about life, the hope, life that's found in Christ. Next, we have to understand why the good news was a gift. Why was this message, this 
celebration, the, the news of what had happened, why was it a gift? Number one, it was a gift because the people didn't show any compassion for the lepers. The lepers were the messengers of the good news, and yet they were treated horribly by the people. The lepers were outcast. They were disposed of by the city, but they showed love to the, and compassion to the city even when none was shown to them. The good news is an undeserved gift. And before we, we cast stones, like we ourselves are testimonies of this. This is a spiritual truth in our world today. The word of God says that this is love, not that we loved God, that, that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. It wasn't that God looked down on us and said, boy, these guys sure love me. I'm gonna send my son for them. He looked at us in our sin and what scripture calls depravity. We're stuck. We're blocked. We're sinking. And he looked at us and he loved us. Before we ever loved him, he loved us first. And he sent his son. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the good news is an undeserved gift to all. We didn't earn it. It was a beautiful gift. In Samaria, it was also a gift because the people didn't earn it. They didn't show compassion, but they also didn't earn it. The people didn't do anything except sit inside of the city gates. No, stone, uh, no throwing stones at them either. I mean, they're, they're inside a city that had been laid siege to. But the lepers, even though they didn't fight the Syrians, they were the ones who actually took the risk. They put it on the line. They were the ones who walked down that long road to the enemy's camp. And this is, again, this is true among us. We didn't earn anything, did we? Come on. I mean, it's time to kind of wake up here. I didn't do anything to deserve the life that I'm living right now. And neither did you. We didn't earn anything. This is a beautiful gift. Romans 5.18 says, even so, through one man's righteous act. Who's it talking about here? Christ. His, his death on the cross. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. It wasn't through us. And it wasn't just for us. It was through Christ and it was for everyone. Colossians chapter 2 says that he has destroyed what was against us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It doesn't say anything about we. It's all about he. He did this for us. Our liberation came through Christ Jesus. He's the one who broke the siege. We didn't get out and fight for it. We didn't get out and earn it. He gave his life for us. It was a free gift for all humanity. And, and oftentimes, guys, I get this. In the church, we start to hear these things, and we automatically put them to the side as, been there, done that, heard that message before. Come on, I listen to message every month, every week. I'm listening to other people's sermons as well. I need an inflow, but I'll hear it. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, oh, I've heard, I've heard this passage. I've heard. It happens to all of us, guys. You've got to hear this with fresh ears this morning. We didn't do anything 
to earn this. We can't lay exclusive claims to it. It's about what he did for all of us. It was a free gift for all humanity. And now this, what we talked about here, is the good news that Christ sends us into the world with. The day of salvation is here. The siege is broken. and There is good news to be shared. And the leper said, this is a day of good news. We cannot remain silent. So this is the reality of where we are as, as a church and as the church. Recognizing what Jesus Christ did for us. And it's beautiful and it's glorious and we celebrate it on a regular basis. And we come to Sunday morning services to worship the Lord and to celebrate and talk with one another. But if we forget that what Jesus Christ did in us is what Jesus Christ wants to do in them, we've missed something. And we've missed something that is significant to the gospel. We have missed the great commission. When Jesus said, come together, sit in your pews, have a good time, have your fellowship lunches, and then go home. It's not what he said, was it? He said, go. That means you gotta leave a building. You gotta leave a comfort zone. You can't stay where you're at. He said, go to them. Go into the world and reach them with the good news. What I have done for you, you are responsible to share with them. Now, that's the story. That's the story. But so many times we have to be reminded of the story because, again, by human nature, we start to turn inward and think that it's about us coming here, sitting in our pews, in our chairs, hearing a message, getting to fellowship with one another, going out to eat at the buffet after lunch or after the sermon's over, doing a small group tonight and getting to hang out in community and then getting up in the morning and, and starting our job, starting our work. And we forget that one of the most significant parts, one of the bedrocks of the church is not what happens in here, but what he's calling us to do out there. So what God has done at South Suburban is extraordinary. But may we never get caught up in what God is doing in here and forget that God wants to take the good news out there. In fact, Jesus steps on a whole lot of believers' toes with one of his most bold statements. And I'll paraphrase. I didn't come for you. And he's talking to the church. I didn't come for you. He said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for the sinner. His purpose was to engage people who did not know the good news yet and to introduce them, to share the good news, to introduce them to their God, to make a way for their Lord. Listen, guys, we've, if, we've, if we fail to, to grab a hold of this, we're missing something really significant. Jesus' passion was lost people. 
It wasn't to build a beautiful facility and have perfectly run Sunday school classes and beautifully dressed people and excellently executed services. It was to get into the messy world and to reach the hurting. The ones who still are living like there's a siege, like they're cut off from the source. God's church, his church is built on reaching others. And maybe today you're sitting in this room and you're saying, Pastor, I've never personally accepted what Jesus Christ did for me. I mean, you're talking about how we're supposed to share, but I've never received that gift myself. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And so I'm going to ask this very simple request. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, this is a holy moment between people and their God. This is between you and the Lord. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. You can say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your great love for me. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I accept, I receive what you did on the cross, but I also celebrate the fact that you rose again to life to bring me a brand new life. And today, Jesus, I accept that gift. I ask that you would become my Lord, that you become my Savior, and I ask that you'd, you would help me. You would give me the strength that I need to follow you all the days of my life. And it's in the name of Jesus that I'm able to pray this. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, here's what I want to tell you. You just made the most powerful and the most fulfilling decision of your entire life. And we want to be able to celebrate that with you this morning. In fact, we'd love to be able to pray with you more. And again, like I think it's an opportunity for celebration. And so before you leave today, I want to encourage you to grab one of the pastors here or grab one of the elders here and to be able to tell them of the decision that you made. And we would love to pray with you and we'd love to encourage you in that. But as we close this morning then, this is where we bring it back. We bring it back to us. What does this mean to us as a church then? This great commission, this holy urging of pushing us out of our comfort zone, of saying, please don't forget that this is not just about you, but it's about the entire world that I created and that I love. As Jesus said, go into the world, reach others with this good news. I want to just speak a a benediction over you as we close out today. Found in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, and it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and may the love of God the Father and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. And everybody said, amen.